It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Ezra Taft Benson once said, The proud do not change to improve, but defend their position by rationalizing. Repentance means change, and it takes a humble person to change. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we uh, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and, and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It is a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? What's happening? Great, Rick. Uh, Our question uh, is, how do I live a life of repentance? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So I like the way you emphasize that. How do I live a life of repentance? Well, look. We've all done wrong, and we've had to come to grips with our, all our actions and deal with the consequences. In short, we've had all, all had, had, had to, to experience our opportunity for repentance. So what is repentance anyway? Does it mean we carry the results of our sins with us every day as a reminder of the destructiveness of what we did? Does it mean that we are sorry and then move on? Does being repentant, especially for big sins, have to be renewed like a subscription? Once we're truly sorry for whatever it is we did wrong, can we ever expect to be happy again? Or are we now destined for a sober-minded existence? Well, coming up in today's podcast, it seems like being on social media means never having to say you're sorry. Talk about repentance is like speaking a foreign language. In our second segment, we're going to uncover the God-driven motivations to make repentance a permanent fixture in life. We can say, all right, okay, all right, okay, I'll repent. But does that mean I actually have to do something different? Well, in our third segment, we're going to reveal a dramatic example of God actually telling Israel what repentance is supposed to look like. And then think about this. Who's the most dramatic example of repenting of someone changing in life that you can think of? Well, we have what we consider to be a top 10 biblical example in our fourth segment. It is the top 10. And finally, <laughs> is everyone going to eventually have to repent for everything they ever said and did? We'll find out in our last segment. So, Rick, the good news is repentance is a powerful tool for healing and happiness. We just need to know how to use it. And that's really what this is all about today. Well, Rick, uh, you had some sad news you you wanted to mention. Yeah, you know, Jonathan, I found out, I don't know, an hour ago that a very dear friend of ours and tremendous, tremendous Christian Question supporter passed away just suddenly, unexpectedly, Tim from New Mexico. Uh, And uh, he and his wife, Sandy, have been very close friends of mine and Trisha's personally, and we just wanted to mention that it was very unexpected, 
and our prayers go out to Sandy, who, uh, you know, could very well be listening at this moment. So our, our prayers are with you. Yes. Okay, so we're going to be looking at repentance. So, Jonathan, to get started with this, what exactly is repentance and what is not repentance? So to kind of put that in order, let's go to a soundbite from John Lawson, What is Repentance? And we're using this particular soundbite because he just goes through some definitions of words, specifically Hebrew words that we're not going to be focusing on. I just thought it would be good for some background. Let's define repentance in Hebrew. Two words are used for the meaning of repentance. First we have nahum, which means to grieve, a strong want to change. Second we have shub, a radical change of mind towards sin, a decision to forsake sin and obey God. Now let's look at the Greek definition of repentance. Metanoia, to turn around, to stop going one way and begin going the opposite way. It's also described as a complete change of thinking. So it's interesting that the Hebrew and the Greek really do very, very much agree. They and, do. And, and we're going to really focus on a, a couple of words in, in the Greek and in the New Testament because they give us a foundation to understand what is and what is not repentance. So the concept of repentance is actually from three primary words in the New Testament. And um, they're very, very closely related uh, Strong's number 3338, Jonathan. What's the quick definition of that? To care afterwards, that is regret. Okay, now think about that. To care afterwards, to regret. Versus number 3340, which means? To think differently or afterwards, that is reconsider morally and to feel compunction. All right, and compunction is not a word we use too often. It's not. Okay. It means an uneasiness of mind due to feelings of remorse or guilt, a twinge of conscience. Okay, so there's an uneasiness, which is in contrast, if you think about it, to regret. Okay, regret is like, oh man, shouldn't have done that. You know, have you ever eaten something and it's like, okay, that was too sweet or that was too sour or that was too bitter or that gave me heartburn? Nothing's ever too sweet. Oh, oh, oh. okay. Sorry, bad example. Bad example. <laughs> you know, you could have just gone with it, but no. <laughs> so, but the point is, you know, you go, ah, oh, shouldn't have done that. There's a big difference between that and what you just said, this, this, uh, this compunction, this uneasiness of mind, this remorse, and this guilt. And then 3341 is a, a different form of that exact word, and that means... It means compunction, by implication, reversal. And that, Turn around. Yes, and, and, <laughs> and that's important. So, you know, we want to make the point, before we get started talking about actually how repentance works, of what repentance is and what it is not. So, and, and Jonathan, I have to apologize. I've got this, I had this, these notes on, on repentance from long ago, and what we're about to talk about, I got from a Bible commentary, and I just, for the life of me, cannot find which one. Okay. okay. <laughs> and it was about these words. This 3338, which means regret, and then the 3340, 41 is more compunction reversal. So the 3338, it refers to an emotional change. And the 3340 to a change of choice. Okay. So not emotional, but a change that you're deciding on. 3338 yes. has reference to, you know, particular things. And 3340 has to do with um, your entire life. 
So it's, I can regret this or re- regret that, but it versus my life is affected by this or that. Yes. See, that's exactly. a huge difference. And there's a big point to this as, as we get to it. And then finally, 3338, uh, nothing but regret ever amounting to remorse. So that's all you have. It's just regret. It doesn't amount to anything more than that. But the 3340, that reversal of moral purpose uh, is known as repentance. And the key word is reversal. Okay, so let's look at a couple of examples of these verses. The regret word is used in Matthew 27, 3. And this is about Judas after he betrays Jesus. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So the word for repented himself actually means he regretted it. And that's kind of interesting because you're seeing a regret like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. But it's not, it doesn't describe it in the way that we would, would hope to see. Okay, using that word, uh, Matthew 21, 28 and 29. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. So and he, Rick, the words changed his mind, reversal. Is regret, okay? He changed regret, his mind. That's right. Okay, so he just regretted it. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. And so, so it's, a, it's, you see there's a casualness to that particular word. Now let's look at the other word and listen to the seriousness and the, 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 um, the comprehensiveness of what this covers. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commends all people wherever to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So God overlooked the times of human ignorance. Now the command goes out to repent. And this is not to say, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. This is turn around. Big difference between the two. Matthew eleven twenty one. another example. Woe to you, Cherezin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So this is talking about cities in which Jesus performed miracles, and he's referring to other cities that were notoriously evil, saying, if I had gone to those cities and done these miracles, they would have turned around. So we're seeing this example of turning around versus, ah, probably shouldn't have done that. And Jonathan, this is huge as we set this, the, the table for what repentance really means. And our final example is that 3341, which um, gives us, again, another broad sense of reversal, Acts 531. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins repentance to Israel. Not like, uh, probably shouldn't have done that, but you need to change your ways. So, Jonathan, to sum this up, we've gone through all these scriptures and the definitions. What's the point of all this? What's our repentance process here? Well, Rick, repentance is not regret. Regret causes us to pause because something we thought or did didn't sit well in our heart or mind. Okay. Regret causes us to pause and continuing the repentance process. Repentance doesn't cause us to just pause. It causes us to stop, observe, process what you're seeing, 
make a conclusion, and then fundamentally change direction. Wow. Now, that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And the point here is to understand at the outset that if we're talking about repentance, we're not just talking about a casual recognition of a wrong. We are talking about that seriousness that affects your very life. Now, every sin is not that huge, but still repentance is always appropriate. So, Jonathan, this helps to put this whole big picture into perspective of what repentance is. It is that turning around. So, now that we know what repentance is and isn't, we need to figure out how it works and what we can learn. Repentance is a life-changing endeavor. How do we know that it is worth the effort and humiliation? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Anything as daunting as facing the necessity to repent for a wrong you have done needs to have significant motivation to make it happen. What is the value of the potential humiliation, heartache, and reparation work before me? Is repenting really worth the effort? Or tell me there could be another way. (laughs) You know, Jonathan, sometimes we feel like that. Is it worth all of the effort? You know, the way we're describing it is it's like this, this massive life-changing moment? And the answer is yes, it is that massive life-changing moment. So we really need to understand that and understand the role that God and Jesus play in that with us. And that's really where we're going to be focusing on this segment. So let's go to a soundbite from Brene Brown. She is a wonderful, wonderful speaker. She talks a lot about shame versus guilt and, and just managing these kinds of things in our lives. And she def- she defines both shame and guilt. And listen carefully here, because repentance plays very much into what she says. The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame. I'm sorry, I am a mistake. There is a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt, inversely correlated with those things. So the point is that, you know, should we feel shame if we do something wrong? Yes. Okay. We, but her point is, let me take her point and pile it on top of ours. Repentance is helping us to recognize our guilt. It is not there to make us say, I am a mistake. It is there to help us recognize, I made a mistake, and I need to make it right as best as I can. You know, we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and we all know that, you know, we're we're just not uh, what, what, what we could be. So we have to understand, this is about managing guilt in a very positive and proper way. 
And Rick, you said earlier, it seems like being on social media means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah, you know, I got that from, and I don't know, folks, you know, you have to be old to recognize this, but there was a quote back in the 1970s that came from the movie Love Story, which was from 1970. And the quote was, it was very famous for a long time, that love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay, and, 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 and that's what made me think of it. Being on social media seems to mean you never have to say you're sorry. And what that means is, you, you, you know, and I never did agree with that quote. What do you mean? It means never having to say you're sorry. If you're in love with somebody, you should be wanting to say you're sorry anytime you do something wrong. That's right. So, you know, the idea here is to understand that repentance is to help us identify and work through guilt. And it's an important, positive positive thing. So how do we kind of figure out repentance? Jonathan, there's three main points we want to get to in this segment. What's the first one? Well, repentance is only accessible if we're willing to take the moral high road. Right. We have to be willing to go the high road because otherwise you don't even find repentance in the landscape if you're going down the low road. Promise you, it's not even there. You know, and sometimes we fight it until we have no choice. King David was a tremendous example of this. He ignored his sin until it was forcibly revealed to him, and then he repented. And remember when Nathan came to him, you know, in those famous words? You are that man. Yes, you are that man. As David is condemning the man in the story, he says, you're him. Here's David plainly acknowledging how wrong he is. He wrote Psalm 51 based on his sin and his seeking of repentance. Listen to how plainly he acknowledges his guilt. Psalm 51, 1 to 4. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. You notice in those verses, David doesn't say, you know, there were mitigating circumstances that made it harder for me to do the right thing. He says, you know, I, I was put in a compromising position. What else was I supposed to do? He just says, I sinned. God, I sinned against you. He doesn't cover it. He doesn't whitewash it. You know, David is repenting. Notice he's not asking to look good before God. He's asking to be good before God. And he's willing to accept God's judgment yeah. against him because he, he wants to be in harmony with God right. anyway, no matter what he did. He needs help. He's oh, acknowledging yes. the need for help, and he's saying whatever it takes. That is showing a repentant heart. So now if we drop down to Psalm 51, down to verses 10 through 13, listen to the process that David talks about. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. He's showing us the work needed to execute that inward change. So again, you know, you said at the beginning of this point that repentance is only accessible if we are willing to take the moral high road. Here's how he's taking the moral high road. He's begging God, please don't cast me away. He's begging him, please don't take your spirit, your influence from, from being in my life. And then he says, please restore to me the joy of salvation. Sustain me. So it's restore, sustain. And then, after you help me and put me back together the way I should be, then I can share the goodness of you. But he's implying, I can't share it until you put me back together. So it's a huge, huge thing that he's showing. So the, the second point uh, on, on trying to understand, is repentance worth it? The first one, again, it's only accessible, repentance is only accessible if we take the moral high road. What's the second? God's... Magnanimity and mercy await those who show true repentance. Okay, and so you know we're going to get to um, to to God's uh, magnanimous character and His mercy are waiting for us. And, and Jonathan, you know Trish, our our my my wife, she just handed me a note. She says, "Well, don't forget, David still had to suffer consequences, and he did." Amen. Repentance doesn't mean we are released from consequence. Repentance means we're giving ourselves over to God so he can take the consequences and have them be growth experiences for us rather than the consequence simply being a punishment. See, it's up to us. We can grow because of our, our, our sins and, and repentance or we can just try to run and hide from it. So let's look for God's magnanimous character and mercy waiting for us. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. We'll take this in about three pieces. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Okay, so this is saying, you know, God is great. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. You know, he's not going to be angry with us forever. Just wait. God is bigger than the moment. You know, that's what, what, how the psalm starts. Verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. So it's saying that the goodness and greatness of God will and can remove all of our sins from us. I mean, this is, this is like, this is about the best news you could get on any day. And verses 13 and 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So, you know, it, it, this sounds awesome. So is all this wonderful forgiveness free? <laughs> Can we do whatever we want, Rick? <laughs> no, we can't. And just remember, in verse 13, before we go down to verses 17 and 18, and verse 13 says, just as a father has compassion on his children. Just remember that line as we go through the next few lines in verses 17 and 18 of Psalm 103. But the loving kindness of the Lord is for, from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. So it talks about, okay, I'm giving you all this wonderful forgiveness. Is it free? Well, no. Is it? Are you one of those who fear or reverence God? Are you one of those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them? Because otherwise, this does not apply to you. 
just let's let's understand. Let's understand very clearly that God wants to forgive us. He wants to see us repent, though, so that we can come back to him. We have accountability, don't we, Rick? Just like a child with their parents. They have to be accountable, and if the parent is a good parent, they put the accountability out, they love them, and they love them, and they love them, and they will punish them so they can learn the lesson of how much they love them. And no kid is going to say, yeah, sure, that's a great lesson of how much you love me. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't come across that way yet, but it does in the long run. So we first had repentance can only be found on the high road, the moral high road. Second, God's magnanimous character and mercy are waiting for us to come back to him. What's the third point of is repentance really worth it? God's plan for those who are blessed with favor is fundamentally based upon true repentance. Okay. God's plan is based on true repentance. In every aspect of God's plan, there has to be that true repentance as a basis. And, you know, we know that because John the Baptist came before Jesus. Why? Why did his work come first? Mark chapter 4, verse 1. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's not just regret, not like, oh, probably shouldn't have done that, but complete turnaround thinking for the forgiveness of sins. We can't get the forgiveness until we have the repentance. So we need to be shown our flaws, okay? And that's another part of human nature. Many times we cannot see what's wrong inside of us. I can see what's wrong inside of you better than I can see what's wrong inside of me. And when I see what's wrong inside of you, I'm probably wrong about it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for not pointing it out. (laughs) (laughs) But see, the point of it is that we need to be careful and humble to receive what it is that we need so we can get to repentance. Repentance is a life foundation. Ephesians 1.7 really shows us this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You know, so you have repentance as this life foundation. And, you know, to me, Jonathan, Jesus is the home that's built upon repentance. Amen. We don't get to build the home of Jesus in our lives unless we have the foundation of true, honest-to-goodness repentance first. Jesus can't dwell on top of our lives unless it's built upon that repentance. That's how important this is. So, you know, there are three basic points that we talked about for is it worth it? You know, taking the high road. God's grace is there, and God's plan is for those who are really seeking repentance. So when we sum up this segment, what's our repentance process look like? Repentance is extremely hard when it stands alone. Put God's forgiveness and Jesus' ransom in the picture, and it becomes a powerful tool of change and growth. See, if we try to do the whole repentance thing without God through Christ, it can be done, but it's much more difficult. Through Christ and and with God's help, our repentance, we're given all kinds of, of, of strength to carry it through as far as we need to, because there's grace, even though it's humbling and very, very difficult. Got to keep this in perspective. That's how important repentance is. So with so much help and encouragement available, repenting to God and each other is now more approachable. It's hard to repent. How do we know our repentance is actually sincere, that it's the real thing? 
Rick and Jonathan are so busy analyzing how today's issues can be solved by a scriptural approach, they naturally don't talk a lot about who they are in daily life. So that's my job. Here's a couple facts you may not have known about your two hosts, such as, for some reason when Rick wears a tie, it always has an animal on it. Why? We don't know. That's just his preference. Now, Jonathan may not love animal ties, but he has a cool rescue dog named Beta. And now you know more about your Christian Questions hosts. Talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan. Sinful human nature is downright devious. We can easily goad ourselves into doing what seems to be the right thing in a half-hearted way. And we sometimes secretly rationalize that this makes us look good because it makes us feel good. The problem is, it doesn't help us to ultimately be good. And Jonathan, that's really the whole point of repentance. It's about being good, learning how to do that. Uh, Speaking of my dog, Beta, I hope last podcast you didn't hear him when someone went knocking on our door (laughs) because he went berserk. Okay. Oh, no. Well, I have to confess, I did hear him. (laughs) I don't know if it came through to anyone else, but I thought, wow, Beta's going berserk in the background. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's all good. It's a dog doing what a dog is supposed to do, so we're glad for that. Hey, Rick, you mentioned earlier, okay, I'll repent, but does that mean I actually have to do something different? <laughs> you know, Bruce Wilkinson had a, uh, a really good quote that kind of answers that. What, what is it? Repentance means you change your mind so deeply that it changes you. And really, that's what we want to get to when we really focus on and absorb Repentance. See, repentance, Jonathan, isn't just a simple uh, decision that you make. Okay, I'll repent. It's a it's an initial decision that requires thought and action and meditation and humility and application. Repentance is not an instant thing. It is a process. So, for our our segment for this particular segment, we, we have a specific premise that we want to put in place. And Jonathan, this is a really important premise as we go through these next scriptures. What is it? Willful sin, which includes feigning repentance, indicates a severe lack of reverence for God. So let's put it out there. If we feign, if we fake, if we try to make it look like we're repentant and we're really not, what we're indicating is not that we're trying to be so smart and get away with something. We are indicating very clearly that we, we have a severe, not a minor, a severe lack of reverence for God. This is not good. That is not good. We don't want to be that. No. Right? No. No way. Don't, be, don't try this at home, okay? No. Don't be that person. So we look at, there's a tremendous example of that in, in, in Isaiah chapter 58. Israel as a nation was taught to fast, to show their repentance before God, and yet In this particular case, God was not responding. So Isaiah is commanded by God to tell Israel why God is not hearing them. So Isaiah 58, uh, let's start with verse 1, then we're going to go to verses, uh, then to to verse 2. Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare my people their transgressions, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Uh, This is sarcasm, right? Yes, it is. It sounds good. But Isaiah is saying, go ahead, cry loudly, raise your voice like a trumpet, 
declare my people their transgression. So he's saying, you know, go ahead, announce yourself. So verse 2 continues along those same lines. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinances of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Again, this is sarcasm. So he's saying that he's telling Isaiah, tell Israel and be sarcastic that, you know, you're seeking me and you sh- you're, you're saying that we delight your, your ways and as a nation we are good in your sight and we haven't forsaken your laws and, you know, we, we, we just want you to give us just decisions. And Israel's kind of going like, you know, how, God, how come you're not answering us? We're good. We're doing all these things. So God is going to call them out regarding their fasting and repentance actions uh, next, and he's going to spare no details. Okay, And this, this gets really, really very, very clear. But before we go there, we want to just touch on a really cool soundbite. Uh, this is from Crossway, What is Repentance? I love this guy's accent. He's a, he's a, he's a um, minister from I'm not sure what denomination, but listen to how he describes repentance. It's very powerful. In the military, nobody doubts what's meant. When the order is given, halt, about turn, quick march. It means that the soldiers are being told to turn their backs on the direction in which they were going and to start marching in the opposite direction from the way they were going before. And that's what repentance is. You see, human beings, by instinct, and this is uh, our fallenness finding expression, by instinct, we walk at a distance from God. And God says, turn round, face me, and walk towards me. I love that. Just see it as a military command. Halt. About turn, quick march. Go exactly the other way that you were going. That is what God is delivering to Israel in Isaiah chapter 58. So now Israel is asking the question about, you know, okay, what's happening here? Isaiah 58, let's go to verse, uh, verse 3. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast... You find your desire. Okay, so they're asked a question. How come you're not noticing? What's wrong? And so God says, behold, on the day of your fast, you find what you want. He's saying, okay, now think about this. Think about this. You find what you want. What else does he say? And drive hard all your workers. So on the day of your fast, you find your own desires. In other words, you're not changing anything. And you're driving your workers really hard. And what else? Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. So in the midst of your fasting, in the midst of your coming before me, almighty God, you are having all this contention and strife and striking one another with a wicked fist. And what else? You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. So he's saying your fasting like you're doing is not so I can hear you. Face the facts. You are not doing this so I can hear you. Then he says in verse 5, Is it a fast like that which I chose, a day for a man to humble himself? 
Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? So he's saying, is this the fast that I choose that you, and again, God is coming down on them hard. Is this a day for a man to humble himself? And he's saying that with sarcasm. He's saying, is it for bowing one's head like a reed? Is that, is that what you think a fast is, to bow one's head like a reed? Is, do you think a fast is just spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed to make yourself uncomfortable? You call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? They're, they're just going through the actions, aren't they, Rick? And that's the point. They are looking like they're doing the right thing. But God is looking for their heart. So when we say fast and pray, what really we're talking about is have the heart attitude of halt, about turn, quick march, back toward God. Are you, God's saying to them, so you're just giving me a big show. That's what you're doing. You're performing the actions of fasting as you simultaneously ignore God and feed your own desires. So, Jonathan, when we started out by talking about the idea of feigning repentance indicates a severe lack of reverence for God, this is a serious problem here in Israel. It is, and hopefully they'll get the wake-up call. Well, they're going to get a wake-up call, that's for sure. (laughs) That's coming in just a minute. But he's describing them doing the right things, but not being the right people. That's what he's describing. So God now is going to show them the purpose for fasting. Okay, the purpose for repentance. He now shows them what they're supposed to really look like if they truly come before God. And everything Jonathan is going to show them here has nothing to do with the outward actions of fasting. And see, that's great. It is. And see, the point is the outward actions are supposed to get your heart in the right place. They're not there to be the event, they're there to get your heart to contribute to the event. And they're, they're just not doing it. So Isaiah 50, 58, now verses 6, uh, let's just do 6 and 7 right now. Is this not the fast which I chose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? So now you think about this. Th- those aren't actions of fasting. Those aren't humbling yourself and kneeling and, you know, in sackcloth and ashes and being uncomfortable and all of this stuff. It says, this is the fast. This is God speaking. This is the fast which I chose. Loosen the bonds of wickedness. Undo the yokes upon people. Let the oppressed go free. Break those yokes that are hurting others. What else? Verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So he's saying, here's the fast that I see. This is God Almighty talking to Israel. And folks, look, when he talks to Israel like this, you know who else he's talking to? Us. That's right. He's talking to us. (laughs) He's talking to us to help us understand this is the heart that I'm looking for. Divide your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless and poor into the house. When you see the naked, cover them. Be merciful and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Be righteous. Be merciful. And Rick, um, I was thinking about a practical example. Okay. How about the value of repentance when we make mistakes with our children? Hmm. And by going to them and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't handle this right, or I said that improperly. I'm, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Do you think that that 
lesson will impress them to know how to ask forgiveness if they do something to someone else down the road. Can we lead by example so that they learn how to say they're sorry when they make a mistake? See, I think that's exactly the point that God is making with Israel there. That's exactly the point. What he's saying is, you know, we may in our spiritual lives be kneeling in prayer and doing all of the right things, but if we've done something inappropriate, you know, in terms of disciplining or saying something that we shouldn't have said to our children, we do need to be able to go before them and to say, hey, look, I, you know, I was not, that was not proper for me as a, your dad to speak to you that like that or or maybe that punishment was not appropriate, whatever it is, to be able to go make it right. It's the heart that needs to turn. And it doesn't mean just going through the actions before God. Dear God, I'm so sorry for A, B, and C while you're doing, you know, you're not treating your children properly even. So you're right. It's the whole picture. That's what repentance is. Now, look, we're making repentance look like a big deal and a really hard thing. Yep. It is. And you can't get away from it. It's but humbling, Rick. It has to be in order for it to re- to produce what the goodness that comes from it. So th- this is what comes before God in repentance, and this is what fasting looks like, all of these things. And now, in Isaiah chapter 58, he says in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, Now, if you fast the way with your heart, like I'm explaining— Here's what's going to happen. Listen to this. You want to hear good news? Listen to this. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Okay, so the glory of the Lord will be your rear. In other words, God is going to guard you from behind. You don't have to worry. There's going to be light in your life, and recovery will, will spring forth. In other words, your life is going to begin to come back into balance again. So now, um, well, actually, let's read verse 9, and then we'll get back to, to, to an important point in question here. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness. So he's saying, then, if you are fasting while living a life of righteousness, okay, and you know, and and for us, one of the things we need to be careful of is like saying, okay, so when I repent for a sin, does that mean I have to go feed the hungry and do all these physical things? This is giving us a sense of living a righteous and merciful life toward others as you see God to have righteousness and mercy upon you. So it's saying, are you living what you're asking for? That's what this is about. It's not saying you have to, in order to repent, you have to go feed the homeless. Now look, feeding the homeless is a good thing. You know? not, sure. but, but this is not, it's not saying to us as Christians, you literally have to do these things. It's saying you have to live the heart attitude of these things, of giving and of mercy and of kindness, because that's what you're asking me, God, for. So God is saying, be on your guard against showing and not doing. Be on your guard against saying, but not believing. Be on your guard against acting and not being. That's what this is all about. It's about living the life of goodness that and, and, and giving mercy out as we expect it from God. And Rick, that reminds me of Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that's exactly, exactly the point of true repentance. We cannot sow to our own flesh when we're asking God to forgive our sins. Can't do it. That's not appropriate. What we need to do is try to... Now look, are we going to be perfect in any of this? No. Do we have to be perfect? No. But we have to try. Legitimately, deeply, uh, with our whole being, try to put ourselves back in harmony with God the way David tried to put his life back in harmony with God. He still sinned afterwards, and God forgave him because he kept coming back. So what's our repentance process from, from this segment learning about Israel? Well, for Christians now, repentance will show our true colors. God plainly sees half-hearted efforts just as plainly as he sees truly sincere efforts. He will judge or bless accordingly. And see, that's the point. When we come before God and say we're we're repenting for our sins and we ask you know, for Jesus to cover us with his righteousness, that's a really important thing to do. And we're not saying don't do that. What we're saying is do that and live it. That's what true repentance is. How do I live a life of repentance? You know, we do have to do something different, very different. We have to try to about-face our lives as much as possible. And when we fall again, we simply need to ask for forgiveness and get up and keep going in the appropriate direction. And that's the key, Jonathan. It's trying to go in the appropriate direction. And sometimes it's a hard process. That's why Jesus says, you know, if a just, a ju- or not Jesus, but the proverb says, you know, a just man falls seven times. But he getteth back up again. That's right. But he rises up again. So this is a very important part of the whole process. As good and important as repentance is, it's also beginning to look a bit scary. You got to be sincere. Repentance looks like a lot of work and a lot of pressure. What does successful repentance look like? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. You know, it's fair to say that repentance carries with it the pressure of purity. After all, following in Jesus' footsteps is not supposed to be easy. It's, it's supposed to be transformative. This means that our hearts are front and center. For if your repentance leads to heart transformation, surely everything else will follow. And isn't that the whole reason for repentance? It's not to just feel good. It is to be better. It's to be more Christ-like. Rick, here's a question for you. Who is the most dramatic example of repenting, of someone changing their life you can think of? Well, there's somebody that I have specifically in mind, and I think you and I actually agree on this one. Uh, you do. <laughs> yeah. now, now, there are several examples in Scripture, but this one example, I think, is really, really, really dramatic. Uh, we're going to go to um, Acts chapter 9 and take a look at this. To appreciate repentance in action, we need to see sin in action first. So Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, we're going to take it in pieces. We're going to go to verse first two verses first. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he found any along the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so Saul of Tarsus. 
He is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He wants to, goes to the high priest. He asks for letters so he can go after the Christians even more. And he wants to bring an end. He wants to destroy the followers of Jesus. Saul seems convinced that evil was good and he was passionate about this mission. Oh, he was passionate. He was. No doubt. Okay, so he's really... He thought he was doing God's will. Yeah. Now, you know, I he did, and I think that he pushed the envelope on what it took to do God's will, and I think he got so emotionally involved that he be, he began to uh, let go the principles of the law that he was following. But you're right. He was using everything as justification to move forward. Now, before we move forward with the story... Uh, Trish has got a comment from somewhere online. Yes, this is a comment um, from one of our listeners. It says, is an example of feigning repentance when you feel really sorry that you got caught, but keep doing the sin or wishing you could do the sin? <laughs> yes, that's a great <laughs> example. Because the idea is about face. The idea is that's what was and is no more. Now look, sometimes we fall, and it's okay. And the flesh is deceptive, it and is. it wants to rationalize. Yeah, yeah, doesn't and, it? Yeah, and you know, and Saul of Tarsus was doing that. Believe me, he was knowledgeable enough about the law to know that he was bending and breaking it at points. The kinds of things that he tells us himself that he did, it's it's it is in, entirely unlawful in relation to the Jewish law. So you know that he was so emotional and passionate, he ignored the principles because he figured, well, there's a greater good and I should break God's law to make God's law stand. Eh, Wrong answer there. So he was now literally faced with his life-changing moment of truth. We're in Acts chapter 9, now we go to verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So those are the words of Jesus to Saul. Now, he's confronted with truth. This creates a crossroad of choice. Do I follow my previously focused driven path or do i face the humiliation of its sin and go exactly in the opposite direction so this is a tough situation for 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 him okay what do i do saul why are you persecuting me and so his reaction is verse five and then jesus again is going to respond and he said who are you lord and he said i am jesus whom you are persecuting but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. So there we have Jesus intervening in Saul's direction. And it's a pretty straightforward thing. This is the voice of Jesus. It is. So Jesus is talking to him. Uh, yeah, and the question is, who else did Jesus ever talk to after his ascension other than Saul of Tarsus. Who would become Paul. And, and you know, that's a, that's a really good question. See, understand that for Saul of Tarsus to become Paul and to become an apostle, Jesus had to talk to him. This was a fulfillment of having direct contact with the Lord Jesus, as the other apostles did. I never had thought about that. I like that. Yeah, that I, makes so much sense. But it also gave him the clarity 
with which he could truly, truly repent. Let's go back to what repentance is from Crossway. And again, uh, talking about the, you know, the, the about face, uh, you know, um, march, we're going to continue that, that thought. And the reason why the theme of repentance is neglected, as indeed it is, not only in modern secular society, but in the church, is because it's a costly thing to repent. It does mean reshaping your life in quite a radical way. And people, just because they find it too costly as a prospect, they try to devise a way of being Christian which doesn't involve anything as radical as about turn quick march. And we who preach the gospel and seek to explain Christianity to folk, we, I think, have to take that as a challenge and talk a great deal about, a great deal more about repentance and the necessity of it than most of us do. I love what he said about, you know, we, because it's hard to have real true repentance, sometimes we devise a way of being Christian that doesn't require about face march. It doesn't require that. And, and, and look, folks, let's be honest. A lot of the versions of the gospel that you hear are not about changing your ways. They're about saying, well, Jesus accepts you as you are, and that's all okay. So just go along and just, you know, it's, it's good. You're good. Jesus loves you just in spite of. He does. But if you're a Christian, it's come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Change. Become Christ-like. Halt. About face. March. That's what it is. And that's exactly what happens to Saul. He was to be helplessly led by the hand after this experience with Jesus. And he would be completely alone now for three days. Verses 8 and 9 of Acts chapter 9. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. See, it's no accident that Saul was blinded, for blindness not only revealed the pathway of sin, it also revealed the open door of repentance. And next, Ananias would heal and baptize him. Rick, uh, being blind and fasting for three days, a complete amount of time to reflect for Saul. Um, It gave him the ability to put things in, in proper perspective. Uh, but then later, uh, 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 fast forward, what would you think uh, he would look like to the Sanhedrin? <laughs> Saul joined the enemy, the Christians. Now, did, did, Paul, did Saul ever feel guilt or shame in doing that? No. No. Now, see, and that's the beauty of the repentance. And you're right, that three. Three is a very important number in Scripture. You know, the, the Apostle Peter is called three different times to, to come to Jesus. He, he denies him three times. He's forgiven three times. You know, you've got the three temptations of Jesus. You can go on and on and on. It's the completeness of an experience. Saul was alone in the dark for three days, and those are the most enlightened days of his life. You're right. Because he could see nothing outside but everything inside. And that's really what repentance is supposed to do for us. Not to be looking around on the outside, but being able to finally see the inside. What's the repentance process here? Repentance is dramatic. 
If we are humble and honest enough, it will entirely transform our character and change the course of our lives. And isn't that what we want? You know, how do we live a life of repentance? Be willing to accept the wrong that I did and put it before God and be willing to do whatever is necessary. And I might add, Jonathan, and this is a whole different part of the subject, that we can do that and sometimes it's not going to have a great effect on the other person. You can fully repent, and you can come to them with the, with the right kind of heart humility, and they may not accept it. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. That, that happens. And does that mean your repentance isn't good or isn't complete? No, because you cannot control anything outside of your own responses. That's God's overruling. That's God's providence all in time. But we must do our part in order to get that foundational repentance. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 talks to us about how foundational repentance is. And these are the Apostle Paul's own words here. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You know, it's interesting that Paul is teaching us that, look, repentance is a foundation, and once you are repentant, You don't have to lay the foundation again and again and again. It's okay if it's there and you're living, your life is proof of the repentance. Keep moving forward. Don't go back and try to relay the foundation. You've already laid it. God has already forgiven you. Just keep living in that repentant way. Um, He knew the experience. He knew what repentance was. He knew that repentance makes us grow. So just moving on from the Apostle Paul's experience, Saul turning to Paul, Let's just talk about each other for a minute. Should we require repentance from someone who sins against us? What's the answer? Uh, Yes and no. Great. (laughs) Okay, let's look at two scriptures. Repentance is necessary if someone sins against us. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespassed against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Okay, so there it is. I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You know, very obvious that, okay, yes, there should be repentance there. But This is a fellow Christian. This is a brother or sister in Christ, right? Right, right. Now, this next scripture says, well, you know what? Just love unconditionally. Luke 6, 27 to 29. But I say to you that, Listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not even withhold your shirt. So this one is like, you know, don't even worry about it when people do wrong. Don't ask them to to repent. Just be good to them. So there's like two contradictory statements. But are they contradictory? So what's the difference? Okay, well, the first text, like you said, refers to a brother. And what about? And the second text is, it's really talking about your enemies, your those in the world, I guess. So there's a different standard for those who should know and those who don't know. The first text shows communication with your brother or somebody that, that's close to you. And the second example is a text showing persecution. There's not a, no communication there. You're being <laughs> <No>. persecuted, <laughs> and you're supposed to respond with grace and with kindness. The first text specifically says to forgive. The second text says to love, bless, be humble, and even pray for them, Rick. Okay, so there is a difference 
between the brotherhood and expecting someone to be repentant because they should know versus the world where they may not know. Well, let me put a monkey wrench in this conversation. All right. How about the family member category? That's kind of tricky. When someone is expecting uh, you to honor the family members and they're accountable to that and they don't, um, do you accept them back into favor when they've done a wrong to the family? I mean, that's it's kind of not either one of the categories we just read. Well, it, it, I think it kind of leans toward the brother category because if that family member knows the way the family operates, and they rightfully should, now I can't say it's going to work in every single circumstance, but it's the same principle. If someone, if it's someone that you've had and are able to communicate with and you all know what's expected, then yes, repentance is really important. But if it's someone who's just ignorant of all those things, it's a completely different story. And and Jesus showed us how to do both. He really did. The key is, you know, not to focus so much on what repentance somebody might owe us, but how am I living in a repentant way for my own sins when I deal with others? And remember, sometimes repentance is costly. And even if you repent, you know, and there could be serious consequences depending on your sin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could be incarcerated because of your sin. That's right. You you could lose your spouse because of your sin. Mm -hmm. So now when you say, I repent, oh, good, that means I don't have to go to jail or it means I won't lose my... No, that can still be the consequence. The key is, what do I do with it? Am I just like David? David suffered serious consequences. Am I humbly accepting those consequences as of God so I can be pure in heart? That's really what we want to get to with repentance. That's why this is all so very, very important. These are strong examples of life-changing repentance, and they're inspiring. Our sincere repentance can be inspiring to others. Repentance for Christians is obviously critical. Will it be just as important for everyone else? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. You know, we know the time for judging the world is future. We also know that no matter who is being judged, sins are revealed and repentance is necessary. The difference is when God pays the most attention. Now he watches to develop us. Later, he will hold the whole world accountable. So we have to understand the differences between God's attention to the sins and who and what and so forth. And we're actually going to get more into this in our podcast next week, and we'll talk about that shortly. But, uh, Jonathan, there's a really good quote on this from William Hazlitt. It says, The only vice that cannot be forgiven is hypocrisy. The repentance of a hypocrite is itself hypocrisy. And, boy, that's deep hypocrisy there. Uh, That is, right. Another important question we need to talk about is everyone going to eventually have to repent for everything they ever said and did? <laughs> it's like, come on, you mean to tell me I'm going to have to repent for every single solitary little thought and word every time? I mean, I've been alive a long time and I've got quite a collection. You know? <laughs> so, and you know, here's the thing. 
you know, is Jesus going to call every single word out to the front? I don't know that he's going to call every single word out, but he's going to call the heart out that spoke those words. And that's what we need to be understanding of. No matter who you are, even those who lived before Jesus, the future is going to be revealing because judgment is going to be in place and repentance is going to be necessary. Luke 11.32 is a good example of those who lived before Jesus having the same responsibility. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. So Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. They turned around, halt, about face, march. That's what they did. God held off his judgment upon them because of that. And Jesus is saying they repented because of Jonah. I am greater than Jonah and I'm here. What are you doing? See, our past track record of repentance shows where our hearts have been. And that's, Jonathan, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a hard statement to swallow sometimes. That is. That is. Because it can be really telling us, you know, do I, do I really live with a repentant heart? Let's go one last time to what is repentance from Crossway and just hear the end results in his words of, of what repentance looks like. The end, of course, of walking Godward is that fellowship with God becomes a real and rich reality more and more as one lives the life of repentance. And those of us who, by God's grace, have begun to learn to do it, testify, if asked, to the joy of the new life of being closer and closer to the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until one begins to take repentance seriously, this is going to be a closed book to you. So I beg you, start taking repentance seriously. So beautifully stated. You know, the idea of living closer and closer to God's will and God's way. And for a Christian, that has got to be the most important thing. And we need to live that life of repentance and put all of these things in place so we can get there. There is great peace in a life like that. So getting back to the, the, the judgment aspect, you know, we talked about Nineveh, people before Jesus in the future. Their, their track record is going to show for good or for, for ill. Each and every human being both... Uh, bo, uh, <laughs> Sorry, each and every human being, both before and after Jesus, will also be confronted with their need to repent, no matter when you lived. Matthew 12, uh, verses 35 to 37. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good, and the evil man brings out the evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So you, you get a sense that, it, I tell you, every careless word that people speak will be given an account for in the Day of Judgment. Does that mean every single word spoken will be repeated? Not necessarily. I liked how you described it. The heart will be revealed. Right. I, I really think it's the heart intent that Jesus is trying to pull out of people to learn the lesson. And it's the accountability of the words. And look, folks, we know 
You know, there's a lot of times where, I don't know, Jonathan, you've ever said anything you thought, mm, yeah, that was uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just once or twice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you know, oh. you get a sense. And the, the point is that none of that goes away without being answered for because it's a reflection of what our heart is really showing. And that's, that's a big deal. Examining our words further shows us the condition of our hearts. It, Jesus is saying, be aware. It's even your words, not even your actions, but just words are so, so important. Now, let's go back. Remember Isaiah? Remember God showing uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Jewish nation in Isaiah? He showed them the purpose for fasting and the purpose for repentance. And, um, and let's just remind ourselves of what the true purpose for fasting was. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 9. Is this not the fast which I choose? to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is this not the attitude with which you should be fasting? That's a, this sort of the, 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 the transliteration of it. He's saying your attitude should be one of goodness and of kindness. And then verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God is saying to Israel, you are coming before me asking for my mercy upon you. How are you living your life? Are you living your life in a way that you are giving exactly what you are asking for? That's what the point of the scripture is. Now, for the rest of the world, okay, for all the world of mankind, we know that Christian judgment is now, the world's judgment is later, and again, we're going to get to that in our next podcast next week in, in much more detail. The final judgment for the world is described in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus takes the detailed principles that God is showing Israel in Isaiah under the old law covenant regarding appropriate repentance, and he's applying those principles to those who will be under the new covenant, so what we want to do is we want to look at Matthew 25, verses 41 to 45, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says to those on his left, depart from me. And we're going to drop in Isaiah 58, because I really truly believe Jesus is teaching this parable with Isaiah 58 exactly in mind. as talking to everybody at the end of their judgment as to the heart of, of the matter, not what you do on the outside, but what is your heart like? So let's go, Jonathan, Matthew 25, 41 to 45, and, and you know when I'll just jump in and interrupt you with the Isaiah scripture. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which is destruction. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. So now if we go to Isaiah 58, verse 7, it says, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Go ahead, verse I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And back to verse 7, and bring the homeless poor into the house. It's the same thing, a different time. Naked, and you did not clothe me. In Isaiah, when you see the naked, to cover him. You see, the, see how Jesus takes what Israel was, was, was shown as the way, and he says, look, this principle applies to everyone. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And again, back in Isaiah, it says, loosen the bonds of wickedness to undo the bands of the yoke and let the oppressed go free. It's saying, have 
mercy in your everyday life because you're coming before me looking for, for mercy. And what's, what is the response of those on Jesus left, according to Matthew 25, verse 44? Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did you, we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And this is the core of what creates faithfulness. It's a matter of your heart. Am I living what I am showing to God? See, you know, you know one of the greatest fallacies in life, Jonathan? What's is, that, Rick? Is that we, for some odd, strange, unknown, in, unfathomable reason, kind of believe that, well... I can show God this and really want to do that, and he'll never know. Now, oh. <laughs> why, <laughs> why would we ever think that he'll never know? You know, but it's human nature. It's fallen human nature. And the whole point of repentance is to not let ourselves go down that road. And if we do, to halt, about face, and march toward God. That's really what this is about. It's about changing the way we do things. So in our repentance, when we're dealing with other people, okay, not just before God, but when we're dealing with other people, what we want to do is put ourselves in a position of living the mercy that we seek. You know, you, and, and if we are doing that, then our repentance has so much more opportunity to be genuine. So again, it's be righteous and merciful. This is what coming before God in repentance and fasting brings. Again, back to Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verse, uh, verse 8. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So, again, this is, this is a hard thing to do because what it requires of us is to be focused on the fact that I did wrong or I thought wrong. And, and understand, you know, we didn't really talk about this much, but our thoughts need as much repentance as our actions. Absolutely. It takes work to try to conform our minds and our hearts into the image of our Redeemer. You know, the Scripture says to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Absolutely. So even if we don't act on something, if we are wishing ill to our neighbor or our family member or our brother or someone else, that's a, that, that's a sin that requires repentance. That's right. It requires us to say, wait, 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 wait. What am I doing? What am I doing? Because, you know, newsflash, God sees your heart and he understands your mind. And, and with the temptations out there, with Satan bombarding us, I mean— lustful thinking is gone rampant. Yeah. We've got to control it to prove our love and loyalty to the Lord. So repentance is an all-around, all-the-time thing that we've got to be aware of. Now look, does that mean that you're going to be miserable all the time because you have to repent? No. What it means is there is a joy in the journey of moving toward God. And the beautiful thing is God loves us and wants us to do that, and we can bring a, 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 a figurative smile to the face of God when we halt about face 
and march toward him. And then we fall down, but we halt and about face and march toward him. What's our final repentance process point here? Well, Rick, repentance is the universal responsibility of all humanity. True and complete repentance opens the door to eternal life that Jesus purchased for all. So even if we have to pay the price of our sins, and it's costly, the repentance is what God looks at. It is what he is longing for, and it's what he wants us to learn from. Folks, that's the value and the beauty of living a repentant, a turned-around life that can say, I made a mistake, and I'll take the consequences, whatever they might be, because God will be blessed and honored by my accepting those things and being humble enough to get up and walk towards him and away from my own sins and desires. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed talking to you about a life-changing subject, that of repentance and what it means and how to make it part of our everyday. How do you live a life of repentance? One day, one act at a time with great faith and humility. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we've alluded to it several times, we're going to be talking about what are the end times resurrection all about? How does it work? Well, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>